Thank you, Graham. Uh, I got to see Graham in action at the sports clinic this past week. I went out there for a little bit of it. And um, Diane does an awesome job just like coordinating and making everything happen. Volunteers, those of you that helped, thank you. It's so great. You should like start planning ahead for next year already. It's a cool thing. Uh, but then you just like roll a ball out and tell Graham, like, make this fun. And it's great. It's, it's a win. He had music out there. And then my little Jack and his kid Gage, they just start like just dancing. And then all the kids are distracted. Let's just dance for a while. It was a good time. We have a good time around here. And I hope you're having a good time these last couple of weeks of summer. Uh, because in Arizona, where my dad, my parents are, they've been in school for like two weeks already. Uh, and it's like 120. So be appreciative of where you live and what's happening uh, and make the most of these last couple of weeks because uh, the fall is going to hit and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be probably chaos, crazy, good, you know, whatever is in your world, in our, in our world collectively here, I'm really looking forward to it uh, because we're going to kick off a new series um, and we're going to kick off a fourth service. If you haven't heard me announce that yet, that is happening. Uh, we, it's not happening September 7th uh, because of BB Jazz. Thank you very little, uh, BB. <clears throat> but um, it's going to happen on the 14th. September 14th, we are going to kick off uh, this fourth service, 6 p.m. right here. Uh, and it is going to be a lot of fun. We're doing that for a couple of reasons. If you look around, you can see that open seats are kind of sparse. Um, and and P.S., <clears throat> if there are any of you who it's just as easy for you to come at 8.30 or 11.30, we would invite you to do so. <laughs> we would say, please join us at one of these equally awesome services Either at 8.30, when who I tell the 8.30 service, they are the smartest and most productive. They get more done by noon than the rest of the church does all day. So you can be a part of that crowd. Uh, or the 11.30 service, where we've already worked out all the kinks. I mean, the 11, that's as good as the service is going to get right there at 11.30. So you can enjoy that and take that in. <clears throat> Obviously, if you're bringing people here or if you're serving on either side or whatever, I, I, I get it. But when you can... Make a choice, that would help because we are committed to continuing to reach more people, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you come in contact with, the people that you order food from at local restaurants. We want to we always have room for them. And when the room feels full like it does today, people are less inclined to invite and, and stuff like that. So we're just creating more space. Also, the reason why we're doing a fourth service on Sunday nights is because there's a whole demographic of people that can't make it in the mornings. Uh, they work shift jobs or they have other kind of uh, obligations and things that make Sunday mornings difficult. So we want our church to be accessible to more and more people in our community. And so we are going to be um, eating more Ricola and, uh, and, and we're going to be doing a service Sunday nights at 6 and, and it's going to be awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. If you uh, want to participate with us in a service capacity, we would love to have you serve. Uh, there are these needs. This, this card is in your bulletin. Grab that. Fill it out. Let us know. It's a great way to just jump in and be more plugged in to this church family. Um, would you pray with me as we get going into this message this morning? God, we are grateful for this new day. We just want to take a moment and pause right now and just, <clears throat> just take a deep breath and... Uh, there's, we're coming here from all different kinds of walks of life. We're coming here with all different kinds of circumstances. Some of us here are going through great pain. Others of us here, uh, it's been a great week. 
And whatever the circumstances, whatever is outside waiting for us or inside us creating turmoil or confusion, we just want to put that at your feet and just say, God, speak. God, speak to us. Even if we're someone who has never prayed like that before, we just say, God, we, we want to encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, have you ever been in a situation with someone who is like maybe just started coming to church or, or they know that you're a church person if you are and you don't have to be, uh, to be here, uh, but, but, and they're maybe trying to impress you or trying to talk or pray in a way that they think like this is what I'm supposed to do? I was in a restaurant, and there was someone who was dating a girl that we were with, and he knew that we were that I was a pastor, that we were church people, and uh, and so it was time to pray, and he was like, "I'll pray for us," and I was like, "Awesome, that's great." And she was like, "Should we grab hands?" And he's like, "Sure, you know, it's pizza lounge, no one cares though. I mean, we'll just we'll, we'll link them up," and so uh, so we hold hands, and this guy, uh, this guy puts his head down, and says, Dearly beloved. (laughs) We are gathered here today. And I, my head pops up. And I'm looking, who can I look at? Who can I look at? Who can I look at? You know, and like you wish your funny friend was across the table from you so you could have that moment and talk about it for weeks. I didn't have that, but it was so stinking funny because he just felt like, he needed to do something, do this religious thing in like a certain way to be accepted, or I don't know, but he sure didn't. <clears throat> I, I, uh, I had an, another time just a year or two ago when I was coaching a volleyball team, and, uh, and so I was at this tournament, and I saw one of my old volleyball teammates from USC, and he was there coaching too, and we hadn't seen each other in years, and so uh, he walks up, we're like, hey, it's good to see you, know, and it's just a couple of minutes before you get around to the question, uh, what are you doing? And I don't remember what he was doing, I think he was coaching and teaching actually, and then he asked me what, what I do. I said, I'm a pastor, a church called Mariner's Church, we're in Huntington Beach, and you get that blank stare. <laughs> And then he's thinking probably, like, what did I just say in the last two minutes that might have offended? <laughs> but then his, uh, then his immediate response is, you're a pastor. No, sh- no kidding. No, uh, no, no kidding. And then he follows it up with, God bless you, brother. You know, I just, uh, I'm like, Ryan, seriously, that, that's not how you talk, you know? Who do you think I am all of a sudden or something? But we do that, don't we? we, we there's something in us that, that, that is like drawn toward that pretending, uh, toward the flowery language, that wanting, wanting to do, like kind of put the religious flair on things so that we fit. Or, or maybe because we're trying to convince God of something. Like, no, 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 no God, I'm, I'm worthy of you blessing. Like, you can bless me now. I, I went to church twice in a row, you know, or, or, I, or I prayed before all three meals today, or, or I prayed in front of people and I, and I used amen, you know, and, I, and I, I'm using these kinds of language, and, and we think we got to dress it up and, and make it flowery and religious, and we don't. We think maybe we have to 
even bribe God or negotiate with God at times when we feel like we're in over our head, like we're not where we should be. God, if you just, if you just get me through this, then I promise it's, you know, church every week from now on. And I'm going to, if you just heal my grandma who's sick, I, I will call her, I will call her once a month, you know, and for the rest of her life, I will, I will be better about this. And so we negotiate and we, and we think we have to be more religious or do certain religious things to win God's favor. And what we're going to see today in this message is that it's, God is not so much interested in your fancy words or your flowery prayers or your negotiation tactics. He's interested in you. He wants you. And he always has. If you look at kind of the whole story of God, if you look, if you just kind of take the Bible this book that kind of tells the story of God, if you just take it and you see, you see common themes throughout it, and one of them is this. Hebrews 6.6, 6, God says, he's speaking through his prophet Hosea, he says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I, I, what I don't need from you is all the religious mumbo-jumbo What I want is mercy. I want you to be a person who loves because I love. I want you just to get it in relationship with me. You know how I am. I want you to be that way. I don't need all the extra. Jesus affirmed the same thing when he walked on the earth. He said in Matthew 9, But go and learn what this means, religious people. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire love, not religion. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." In other words, I haven't come to call the people that think that they have it all together. I've come to call the people who are real and know that they need me. Again, he says, if you had known what, this, what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. You would not have condemned the innocent. That is an idea that's going to come up in the story that we read later in this message. And then finally, in Romans 9, the Bible says, It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. There's a place for desire. There's a place for effort. There's a place for strategy. There's a place for responsibility. But the sun rises and our hearts beat because God is merciful and kind and generous and loving. And he's the one who keeps this world turning. He's the one who's given you every good gift that you have. We have a tendency to think that we have earned something, but we have not. It's his mercy and generosity. Our God is bigger and better and more generous and more merciful than we think. When we forget that, we get into trouble. Like our hero in this this story this morning gets himself into into trouble. I'm going to tell you about a leader from the Old Testament that sacrificed too much. Judges Chapters 10 and 12 kind of capture the story uh, of Jephthah, but I want to tell you first the context in which we find this hero. In in the Old Testament, the the Bible from a a few thousand years ago, pre-Jesus, there was this ongoing pattern. The people of God, the Israelites, the people who God determined would be his people, that would kind of represent him in the world, they they kept getting off track. They kept saying, okay, God, we're going to follow you. We're on board. We're in. We're going to do this thing. But then over time, they would drift, and they would worship other gods. They would get distracted. They would get impatient. They would do their own thing. And then things would go badly for them. 
And then they would get to see how the error of their ways, and they would go back, God, have mercy on us, forgive us. And God, in his generous mercy, would give them another start, and they would try again. But over and over and over, this pattern happened, and it happens again in Judges chapter 10. They, are, they, have, they have gone too far again. They have started worshiping other gods. They have turned their backs on their own one true God. And God has handed them over to these people called the Amorites. And the Amorites are now or Ammonites. They, the Ammonites are kind of, they, they have, they're overseeing, they're ruling over them, they're controlling them. They're making life miserable. For 18 years, the Ammonites are, have a stranglehold on the people of Israel. Finally, God's people come to their senses. They just say, we, we can't take this anymore. Verse 15 says this, The Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. We have gone wrong. Some people ref- think about sin in terms of an inner rebellion, turning my back on God. We, we, have, we have done our own thing. Now, do with us whatever you think best, God, but please rescue us now. So they got rid of their foreign gods, and they served the Lord. And he, God, could bear Israel's misery no longer. So they, they got rid of these foreign gods that they were serving. The Bible says that there were seven of them. It lists seven different nations. Baals, they were worshiping Baals. And they were uh, these other nations. Then they have their own gods and the ways that they go about life. And they had gotten caught up in that way. And so when they finally came to their senses and says, okay, this isn't working. This isn't for us. They got rid of all seven ways. Now, I think the Bible says seven different ways because in, this, in Scripture, seven is the number of completion. So what God is trying to say is they completely turned their back on me. So part of the process was getting all that junk out of the closet, out of the trunk, out of the dark places, and saying, we're not going to play with that stuff anymore. We are with you. We're, we're with you. We don't probably, you and I, we might not have like golden images and things on shelves or, or you know, in our car that we rub or pay homage to or worship or whatever. But we all have those competing passions, those other things that can take the ultimate place above God. We have those things that we can kind of get off track and begin to worship them instead of him. We, we can get pulled in toward worshiping money or status or fame or reputation or significance. There, there's those, those things that compete for his ultimate place in our life. That's just real. That's That's real for all of us. And so these guys cleared all that crap out, and they said, we are just going to follow you. And they hit that rock bottom saying, whatever you think is best. I'm not going to manufacture it. Whatever you think needs to happen, we're in. When you get to that place, when you and I get to that place where we just say, God, whatever, (laughs) however this needs to go for you to fix the mess that I've gotten my life in, I'm for it. When you get there, God can't help but come to the rescue. The Bible talks about how he loves the humble and contrite heart and spirit. He's quick to be with those who get to that place and just says, I have made a mess of my own life. Whatever you think, whatever's going to get me out of this, whatever's going to restore a right relationship with you. That's what I want. That's where these people finally get to. And so God doesn't stay angry. He has mercy on them. They turn to God, but naturally, they want a leader. They want a leader to kind of overthrow this Ammonite army, these people that are oppressing them. So this is, here's what the Bible says in verse 18. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Who, 
Whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be the head over all who live in Gilead. So notice that it says the leaders, and yet they don't have a leader. They're, they're social planners, really. They're kind of the default hierarchy, but they're not the ones that are strong enough and capable of leading these people to another place, which brings up an important point, just kind of to tuck away, that the leaders who got us into this mess are not going to be the people to get us out. And what we're going to see is that they're going to have to go outside of their little comfort zone here to find the leader who will lead them to victory. Whatever you have been doing to get to where you are is not the activity that's going to get you out, right? Whatever your patterns have been, whatever your activities have been, whatever, whatever path you've been on that's gotten you to the place that you are that's not where you want to be, that's not healthy, those activities and those patterns are not going to be the same that get you to the better place. You're going to need something else. And what God teaches his people in our story is that when you've drifted from what matters most, help is often where you'd expect it least. Enter Jephthah. Jephthah was a, Gideon, was a Gileadite. The Gileadite was a mighty warrior, chapter 11. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. A little asterisk by that. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. So you have Jephthah born from the prostitute, but Gilead also had a wife who bore him other sons. This is going to get ugly. And when they grew up, when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah, or you can call him Jeff, they drove Jeff away and said, you are not going to get any inheritance in our family because you are the son of another woman, a prostitute, by the way. You don't get it, you don't, you're not going to get any of our inheritance. We're from the actual wife here. You don't belong. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So this is the guy, Jephthah, that has natural innate leadership abilities. That the people, when they reach their rock bottom, they are going to go out to him. And they're going to try to convince him to come and lead the army against the Ammonites. The same Jephthah that they have rejected and sent away and said, you can't live here. The brothers are going to have to get on board and they're going to have to say, okay, we need someone. And this guy obviously has some leadership characteristics because he's leading that little rebel band out in the bush that keeps raiding through and steering, stealing you know, our hubcaps, or I don't even know what they did, but, but, but that he's effective. Those people follow him, and we have no organization and no, no purpose and no passion over here. We need that guy. And so they go back out there to the person that they have rejected, and they ask him if he'll come back and lead their army. And they promise him, if you do this, you won't only be the leader of our army, but you'll be the leader of all of us. You'll rule Gilead. You'll be the governor. You'll be the judge. You'll be the overseer. You'll be the guy. And Jeff's like, okay, you promise? We promise. This is what we want. He thinks, okay, not bad. I got, I see, I see what you're doing here. And I kind of like it. They're in need. They've seen the error of their ways. 
They rejected me. I've been alone and, and kind of this, this worthless rebel out here. But, but the leadership skills that you put in me, the gifts that you've given me, they've, they've come to the surface because, because what God puts in you, he draws out. And they've noticed, and they're asking me to come back and lead the people. Okay. All right, let's do this. And so they believe in him, and he believes that God will, will lead them to victory. But before the battle ensues, Jephthah does something really stupid. Judges 11, 30 and 31 say, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, God, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return home in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. I will sacrifice it, whatever comes out of my house, as a burnt offering to you. Now, reasonably, most, most of the time, animals lived on the first floor of the house. And so whether it was at night or in the morning, the animals would be in there. So he's just saying, I'm going to give you the first it could be my best cow. It could be my, my best whatever. And if it comes out, I'm sacrificing it. It's yours. I have a feeling that Jeff is making this declaration in front of a lot of other people. Because I have a feeling that he's trying to convince himself and others that God is in this. That he's God's man. I see the story that you're telling here, God. I see where this is going, and I like it. Um, okay, so you've brought me back over here. You're going to reinstate me. You're going to make me the ruler over all these people. That's what they deserve, and that's probably what I deserve. So, so let me get out in front a little bit. Let's negotiate. This is going to go really well. I want them to see that we're, that we're having this dialogue. I want them to hear my flowery prayer so that they think that I'm religious. And so when we do win, they'll know that I'm tight with you. This is going to be good. I see how this is going to play out. So they go into battle. They win the battle. They're conquering heroes. Jephthah comes back. He's walking toward his house. People have heard, ah, oh, we're victorious. They start coming out. He approaches his house and outruns his daughter, his only kid. She's the first person, the first living thing that comes out of the house. Not an animal, not something else his daughter. And so I think maybe, you know, there's, in our minds, we try to, well, God did this because I made this promise and he didn't have to let her be the first one that comes out, you know, so obviously he wants me to, to follow through. He could have changed this, like, I guess, well, I, I mean, and then there's the people, too, that heard, that are there. So he goes through with it. Now, there's, there's scholars and people that debate, did he actually like put her on an altar and sacrifice her and kill her? Or because she was a young girl, did he just send her away to be kind of a virgin dedicated to the temple forever? I don't know. But either way, he didn't need to do it. God didn't ask him to. He was layering more meaning on he saw the story that God was telling and he thought, I, I, I see where this is going. Okay, so, so this will work out for me, God, if you do this and you do this and I promise I will do this and this is gonna be great and then, and then this will happen. But God, I met him at church. Of course I'm supposed to marry him. That was a sign from you. God says to me, he says, 
gives me this idea when I'm 24, 25 to just to do this ministry. But it was me who left my job, who got out in front of him. I said, okay, I appreciate the idea. I'll take it from here, God. And I rushed out ahead and fell hell, you know, headlong into a quarter-life crisis, trying to, oh, yeah, 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 that, 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 that's good. I see where this is going. I'll just take control. I'll just make it happen my way. I see how you can redeem this story. Let's get to it. Friends, the Lord gives victories. He doesn't negotiate them. He gives gifts. He gives abilities. He gives blessings. He gives authority and leadership and opportunity. He's not negotiating them with you. They're gifts. You don't deserve them anyway. He's giving you the win. He's giving you the opportunity. He's given you the family. He's given you these gifts. We don't have to try to prove or negotiate or bargain with. Bargaining with God is silly. The Bible talks about when someone else is trying to negotiate and bargain with God, God says, come on, I own all the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, I own everything. What are you, what are you bringing to the table here? What's your bargaining chip? What, are you, what, what can you really offer? It's like a parent like negotiating with their kid. Has your kid tried to negotiate with you? Mine can't quite yet. He just throws himself on the ground when he wants something. Uh, but, but when I was a kid, I remember negotiating with my dad saying, if you just let me stay up and watch one more show, I will never pee the bed again. You know, I, clean, clean sheets from here on out. Or another Saturday morning, it was like the last pancake. And it was like my two younger brothers or me. I'm older, I'm bigger, I deserve this. So I said, mom, if you let me eat the last pancake, I'll babysit. My brothers, for the rest of the day, they look up and like, they don't like either of those things. Like, we want the pancake and we don't want you to babysit. You don't have our best interest in mind. Have you ever wondered if maybe, maybe you're even kind of considering it this morning, what, what, what ways do I get out ahead or layer more meaning onto or get religious beyond even what God is asking of me? You can do the Jeff test. The Jeff the test. How do you know if you're falling into this kind of religiousness and negotiating with God? You ask yourself this question. Who am I putting on the altar? Who am I putting on the altar? Is it someone else? Am I sacrificing someone innocent? Or is it me? The Bible is really clear. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But we tend, we prefer to offer other things. We'll offer other people. We'll, we'll, we'll offer you know, stuff maybe that God doesn't even care about. We'll, we'll offer whatever we offer to make ourselves feel better, and we'll try to negotiate our position. Well, God, maybe you want this, or I see where this is going, so, so I'll jump in and give you this. When uh, Hillary and I were asked to take over and lead this church two and a half years ago or something like that, 
I had not been planning on it. Actually, there were a few years where I was literally trying to avoid um, being a pastor. There were several other churches that had asked me to, and I had said no, uh, because I just felt like, I, I, God, if there's, if there's something else that I can do where I can just like go and speak and make money and do those, that would be great. Um, and, and so I avoided it and kind of until he just made it really, really clear, and I said, okay. But when I said okay, I wasn't just saying okay for me. I was saying okay for my family. And uh, my mom is a pastor's wife. My grandmother was a pastor's wife. And so I had seen how pastor's wives are, stuff that they do, sacrifices that they make, ways that they should behave, let alone the other pastor's wives maybe that I had seen at different churches than I had been. And so even my own expectations of myself being what they were, I had now bringing someone else, bringing Hillary into this role and holding her up and going, ah, my mom, my grandma, and, you know, so-and-so, and this is what a... Pa- yeah. These are the expectations. This is kind of what it looks like. And she's like, oh, really? You know? <laughs> and I've had a choice. I've had a choice throughout this journey. Do I make her conform to some image of pastor's wife that I grew up with or that I've seen or whatever? Or do I let Hillary be Hillary? Who fortunately for me is freaking awesome. And she just loves to be out on the patio and love people. Or do I say no because, you know, a pastor's wife is supposed to like do a Sunday school class. What's Sunday school? I don't know, but we should have that. And, and it's supposed to look like this, and it's supposed to look like this, and she should do that. Who are you putting on the altar? What are you trying to control? Is it you? Because God just wants you. He doesn't want the extra stuff. And he doesn't want you to sacrifice your family on some altar of religiousness. He just wants your next yes. Say, God, I know it's not religious frills and things that you want. I know that it's not the sacrifices of of kind of fake platitudes. I just give you me. I want to worship you. I want to be right with you. I want to follow you. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm not going to try to jump out in front and make this story happen. Let God write and redeem the story. Let God write and redeem the story. You just offer you. You just offer you. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to speak and to prompt and to encourage and to reassure and to invite us to trust you, to stop trying to control and manipulate, but to trust you. Would you guys...